Hello, March Mad Men listeners. We all go a little mad sometimes, don't we? Well, no Norman Bates tonight, but we do have six slasher movies to talk about as we close in, like a shadowy assailant trailing an unknowing victim on the end of the first round of a cinematic competition patterned off the March Madness basketball tournament. Ours is designed, of course, to analyze 64 slasher movies, two by two, until 60 have been slaughtered and only a fatal four survive. We will close this season with a definitive statement on what is the greatest slasher movie ever made. But that destination remains quite a ways off, and I, for one, am enjoying the journey so far. My name is John Evans, and my co-pilots on this flight into the unfriendly skies are screenwriter Vikram Wheat and producer Rich Eckersley. Fellas, how much turbulence do you think we're in for tonight? What say you, Vic? John, I think tonight is going to be pretty smooth sailing. Uh, I think that, that as per usual, we're all going to agree. Uh, you know, we, we tend to, to all be on the same page when it comes to these films. And uh, I look forward to, to really just a, a congenial hangout with you guys. <laughs> we're all on our best behavior every time, right, Rich? <laughs> I'd say the level of turbulence on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd, I'd label it a, a Shatner in, a, in Nightmare at 20,000 feet. Uh, that's the kind of turbulence I'm expecting this evening. It's funny you should say that. Is, who's going to be Shatner? Who's going to be the thing on the wing? Uh, well, I feel like Shatner in his girdle tonight because I am wearing a very tight T-shirt that is a, uh, a gift uh, that has the great Jason Voorhees face on it that I received about a decade and a half ago. And I'm, I'm, I'm not as svelte as I was then. So I'm going to kind of try to breathe and continue with the show. But uh, yeah, this is going to be a wild ride, guys. As always, looking forward to it. And uh, let's just get underway, shall we? Our first matchup is in the meta regional, as we are terming the sections of our tournament. And of course, that one is all about movies that are commenting, deconstructing, having fun with, in some way, toying with slasher conventions. And our matchup is the number two seed in that era, in that regional, Hatchet, Adam Green's Hatchet, facing off with Wes Craven's Scream 2. Now, there's been a little chatter in our socials, at least amongst the three of us, about Scream 2 over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think this, this could get a little heated, but uh, I'm going to introduce... Uh, no, Vic is going to introduce Hatchet. And uh, why don't you take it away, buddy, and let's, uh, let's learn about this Adam Green joint. That's right. I'm actually, John, I'm introducing both of these films. So I'm going to, I'm going to take a deep breath. I've got to settle in. And I want to say, even though this is a, a, a pretty wide matchup between a, a 2 and a 15, uh, I like both of these movies. So, spoiler alert. Okay, I'm, this is this is going to be challenging to see how uh, how everything shakes out. John, I see you taking a, a sip out of your skull mug there. Can I ask what are you drinking tonight? Always a welcome question, Vic. Uh, yeah, this is the original skull mug. This is the giant, I don't know, sixty-four ounce skull mug. Uh, it means I have come to play tonight, but I did not fill it with something crazy and IPA like because it's going to be a marathon, not a sprint. 
So I'm actually drinking Miller Lite, guys. Sorry. <laughs> what do you? Uh, what do you? What beverages do you have in front of you, Vic? Start with you. In honor of Victor Crowley and Hatchet, I am once again consuming the Great Backwoods Bastard. I am treating this marathon as a sprint, and we'll see how that goes. Also, John, I just want to say, I feel like in in our world, like drinking a Miller Lite, like that just lines you up to be the first one murdered in a in a slasher film. So, uh, good luck. Well, I'll be the least drunk, so maybe I'll I'll survive. Uh, who knows? Um, that's that's <laughs> marker, John. That's how we know who's going to get killed. I will say, ironically, like like Miller Lite almost might be a bit. Be- like kudos to the Backwoods Bastard in terms of like themed beers, but Miller Lite might be more appropriate to Hatchet. It yes. is sort of like you know, like all American. Like it is just like it is not hiding behind any pretense whatsoever. There's no additional fillers, no additional flavors. This movie's just giving you what you want. <laughs> No flavor at all. And it, actually, in terms of slasher movies, I don't think I've seen a lot of uh, dudes quaffing IPAs or bourbon barrel quads in, in, in these films. It usually is a cheap beer. So I think uh, that's because those people live, John. Those people don't they're not in the slasher film. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So let's talk about Hatchet, uh, released in 2006, directed by Adam Green. It was budgeted at one and a half million. It only grossed two hundred thousand. The release information I was able to see mostly talked about the film festivals it played. So I don't know if you guys have any more information. I know there was a lot of talk about the struggle with ratings and release on on Hatchet Two, uh, but I didn't find any information on on that aspect of it, uh, except to say that for only grossing two hundred thousand dollars, they made three sequels. So they made some money somewhere. Uh, the logline is that a haunted swamp tour goes awry when the boat sinks, stranding passengers in the woods haunted by Victor Crowley, uh, a ghost or, or or monster. Somebody says undead at some point, whatever that means. But yeah, whatever he is, he is haunting the shit out of them. As much as I didn't care for Hatchet 2, I actually like Hatchet. I, for me, this captures the right mix of goofy charm and gory charm, and uh, it's some actual scares without descending into too much gobbledygook over what Victor Crowley is or how to kill him. Uh, I like Joel David Moore a lot, actually. I think he perfectly embodies that same goofy charm. He has great chemistry with Dion Richmond, who would go on to star in Scream 3, which is not appearing in this competition. Joel David Moore's Ben, he's been recently dumped, and he's not interested in kind of the wild partying of Mardi Gras. So he convinces Richmond's Marcus to do this kind of lame swamp tour with him. It's a nice, simple setup to hang the gore and the jokes on, and none of the convolutions of the of the narrative in the sequel. The cameos are a lot more fun. I love Robert England and the Blair Witch Project's Joshua Leonard, who I barely recognized in the opening scene. I think Tony Todd slays in this much smaller scene as Reverend Zombie, who we get to see more of. That's not to knock his performance in the second one. It just plays better as a cameo. Uh, I really like Joel Murray as, as this kind of amusing and dumpy porn producer. The kills are shocking. They're gory. They're fun, uh, particularly the first appearance of Crowley's belt sander. Uh, and uh, an early kill that a writer at JoeBlow.com referred to as a human Pez dispenser. To me, the tone of this is more even. The performances are, if not better, they at least give a better sense that everyone here is making the same movie. I think there's some real suspense to be had in a few scenes, and I found the movie went out on exactly the right note. This movie is as much fun as Hatchet 2 thinks it is. 
Vic, you came strong there. Yeah. Uh, a lot of great points there. You, you gave me something to think about, but go ahead and tell us about the other one now, what it's up against. Then let's talk about Scream 2. Going to warm up the vocal cords for this one. <clears throat> Why are you going to have a bunch of bullshit dialogue to spew out over the course of two hours? <laughs> oh, I thought you guys were, were pleasantly surprised by this. All right, that's okay. Uh, one All right. of us was. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Scream 2, 1997, directed by Wes Craven. Uh, but <laughs> that one's carrying all the way through, John. Just get ready for it. Uh, budgeted at $24 million, it grossed $172 million, making it among the more successful uh, of the, the movies in the competition. The logline is that two years after the events of the first film, even though the movie was released less than a year after the first, which is kind of impressive, the movie version of Sidney Prescott's story has just been released and someone's looking to make a sequel. Just like before, people around Sydney begin dropping like flies and it's up to Sydney, Gale, and Deputy Dewey to unmask the new ghost face before it's too late. So just to reuse Bob Jitman's quote about the newest Scream movie, if a movie crawling up its own ass with meta bullshit was a magic trick, Scream would be David Blaine. I just think that's such a great line. Scream 2 ups the body count, the self-referential bullshit in equal amounts. Uh, as we find Sydney in college with a new circle of friends starring in the strangest college production of Cassandra that can be imagined and awkwardly bumping into the guy she accused of murdering her mom. While not the equal of the first one, I think this movie has a really strong opening with Jada Pinkett, not yet Smith, and Omar Epps getting killed in an opening night screaming of Stab, the movie within the movie, it's a good scene, although I do have to say that the person getting killed in a context where people think it's fake is rapidly approaching seance-level cliche for me. The rest of the new cast are sort of equally impressive, including Sarah Michelle Gellar in a small part, uh, Rebecca Gayhart and Portia de Rossi turn up in it, the great Laurie Metcalf, the great David Warner. Uh, I'm going to mention Timothy Oliphant and Jerry O'Connell separately just to note that I think I love Timothy Oliphant almost as much as I hate Jerry O'Connell. He has a bit in here where he serenades Sydney in like a crowded lunchroom and it's supposed to be all charming and it's just so smarmy and obnoxious. I just, I've never wanted to leap through the screen and tackle someone to the floor and beat them to death with a lunch tray so badly. It has a few standout sequences, though, outside of Jerry O'Connell being an obnoxious prick. Uh, it has a few standout sequences, <laughs> though a bit nonsensical. There's a what was, for me, a really tense scene where Sydney and her friend had to sneak out of a, a, a car with an unconscious ghost face in the front seat. Uh, I also enjoyed a, a chase through a recording studio that made good use of soundproof glass. And there's a great daylight scene early in the film that features Jamie Kennedy trying to keep the killer on the phone while Gail and Dewey frantically search passersby on the quad that ends in a surprisingly uh, effective kill. But the red herrings pile up and up and up until the killer could be literally anyone, which tends to be the biggest failing of all these movies. Craven desperately wants to keep you guessing about who the killer or killers is or are. So preposterous things pile up until he finally pulls back the curtain and it's someone you couldn't possibly have guessed because the motivations are either completely hidden or utterly absurd. Thanks to movies like this, I am increasingly enamored with slashers that are not interested in playing the whodunit game, which ultimately pulls the rug out from what is otherwise a pretty solid mid-90s slasher to me. It is worth noting, 
uh, as I was doing my research, that a copy of the script for this film leaked right as they went into production. And Kevin Williamson wound up having to frantically rewrite huge portions of the script, especially the final reveal on the fly while they were shooting, because they didn't want everybody to know who, uh, you know, who uh, Ghostface really was. Now, that said, I know what the original ending was, and it doesn't make any more sense than what they finally landed on. (laughs) Uh, I'll also say, like, all writing is frantic when you're cranked up on that much blow. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Rich, let's save our let's save our conversations about cocaine for Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. Okay. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I will talk about the ending of this movie, but it it definitely no, goes you, off you the rails. On this is spoiler free. <laughs> And hey, I am prepared. About the ending of this. <laughs> it will be spoiler free. Don't you worry, Vic. Yes, of course. The first round, everyone, entirely spoiler free. But I think that first I will pass the baton over to Rich here. Rich, jump in on either or both of these movies. I, I know you hold probably both of them dear to your heart. Uh, I don't know. Illuminate us. Vic, I think your right up for Hatchet was fantastic and kind of captured like what makes this movie good and i think you articulate pretty well like where hatchet 2 went wrong kudos there i'd I'd say like my general feelings about this film is that like this film is fine i've seen it i think three times now and this is definitely a good like especially like if you are stoned and it's the middle of the night like this movie delivers and to be fair like i feel like that's who hatchet was really made for there are definitely things that are like a little kind of cringeworthy. Like I find the, like the girls gone wild plot line is like a, a little bit like hard to watch, not because of the, like the nudity, but just because of like the, just, I don't know, the, the, the characters in general, but like also I, I will say that this is a film where the kills are genuinely enthusiastic about what can be done with prosthetic effects. Like this is not hostile. It is not interested in like the squirm inducing like tactile sense of pain. It's really Mm -hmm. interested in like latex and corn syrup. Like it works with those materials (laughs) as a medium, the way that some artists use ceramics or watercolors. This film revels in gore. It loves it. And like the insane kills are genuinely gleeful as a result. And like, that is clearly what it's, what it's, uh, what it's built around. And so for, for me, like that's where hatchet really shines and like, and overcomes what otherwise are like the trappings of like a, a low budget, you know, serial comic, uh, horror film. I, I will say like, I don't know how meta hatchet really is. And maybe there's a conversation we had around hatchet too, as well, but you know, I'm not going to knock it for that. Like it's we, like, we put it in this, in this category, but I am just always struck by these, by hatchet, and it's it's ilk as like it's not really saying anything about the genre. It's just sort of using the tools of, of the genre um, in a way that is somewhat self-aware. That's fair. You know, I, 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 I like it. Kareem 2, on the other hand, and like, don't don't get me wrong. Like, I would love to launch into like just like a screed about Scream 2 because I know I talked a lot of trash on the chat about this film. I don't hate this movie. I am kind of bored by it. You know, this is a movie that essentially like tries to up the ante in the sense that all of these characters have seen the film that is based on the killings from the previous film. And so, you know, this like allows them to upgrade their ability to be these sort of postmodern, like quippy, like collegiate dirtbags. 
you know, but in no way does like any of this really like the the, the self awareness like really alter the behavior of the killer, which is something that I think that like New Nightmare, which it's hard not to compare Scream and, and New Nightmare, just given the fact that like you have the same director, I believe the same editor, um, like a lot of the same people behind it, sort of like aiming at the same targets. But like New Nightmare at least like tried to tailor the behavior of Freddy and the way that he was going after his victims a little bit also in the postmodern mold where like I'm not so sure Scream 2 is doing it except for the point where the, you know, the killer is revealed and explains their evil plan in Scooby-Doo style. The end result is like to me is kind of kitschy and schlocky and like I don't like love its its smugness, but I also get that the entire shtick of the movie is that you know it's so aware of what it is that like it's kind of like they're beating you to the punch in terms of like acknowledging um what they are one of the things i wanted to like compare to with like new nightmare is like with new nightmare the characters of the actors were, were so grotesquely comic like it was something near in the mold of like david lynch or david cronenberg and here i feel like those same like characters are turned sort of self-congratulatory and they're already proud of their own jokes which is something that just annoys me i think you guys both really like nev campbell's performance i find that her like kind of like steely like mopiness has all the charm and personality of like a deflated balloon i've never found ghostface especially scary and i'm clearly in the minority given all the sequels Perhaps because the threat of Ghostface is always that of like some smarmy suburban white dude, you know, whether they're working on their own volition or not. And like, so the antagonist of the series is someone who I've always found, frankly, more unsettling with the mask off. I like Courtney Cox's character. I actually feel like she's like, she is strong and she's driven. Her character kind of has an arc where she changes over the, the course of the two movies and like she learns something and there's something to be said for that. Um, I kind of like David Arquette. Like, I know he's like a, a like a lightning rod for this film series, um, but I think he's one of the more indelible characterizations in it. And like, Leif Schreiber yeah. is like Cotton Weary. Leif Schreiber was not like a known, you know, factor around around this time period, if, if memory serves me right. And like, he really has like a weird kind of mysterious. Like, there's there's a there's a darkness there, but also like a humor. Like, he has a bizarre charm that I think he puts on display here. And, like, he has this kind of cool character who seems like he's, like, not a great guy, but also, like, you can kind of, like, empathize with the situation he's been put in as this guy who's, like, blamed of the, of the original killings. I do think that the, the ending, like, uh, John, I'm not sure how you're planning on talking around it, but, like, it's the most offensive part because, as Vic indicated, like, there's just, like, no way to guess who's doing the killing. So, like... The ending isn't a twist. It's just like an assault of story. Um, mm-hmm. that yeah. Forgive me. That's a little, a little scattered, but uh, I did not, I don't, I don't love this movie. I don't especially want to see it again. I think you hit on a lot of things. I think it's great that we're all sort of going to be touching on some different things, but I'm starting to see some commonalities and uh, I'll start with Scream 2 since that's what um, the topic is. It was it was my belief going into this recording that Rich hated this film with the fiery intensity of a Pittsburgh blast furnace. But now I know, damn it, I should have saved that line for Vic in a different movie. Because <laughs> Vic's <laughs> Mr. Pittsburgh. But anyway, yeah, this is really something that it grew on me in, in the second watch. I hadn't seen Scream 2 since the theater. And middle-aged... John generally agrees with young John on most things having to do with movies, fiction, and music. I'm not saying I'm stunted in that regard. I think, honestly, I was precocious. (laughs) But I don't know how scary this movie is. 
I did find it quite enjoyable this time. I liked it more than I did the first time. I think it has a unbelievable cast of stars from the last three decades, which is obviously something I didn't care about when the movie came out because they weren't famous yet for the most part. And I will never say that I have gone soft as a horror fan, at least not so far. But I do think at the time I wanted something darker when this movie came out. I wanted something darker, nastier, and scarier from Scream 2. Partially because the John that saw this first scream in the theater with his sister was genuinely shook by the opening sequence of that movie. And I thought that the sequel needed to give me at least one scene as intense as that one, and I don't think it does. That said, even after all these years have passed, I've always remembered and appreciated the scene where they get in a car crash, Vic, you mentioned this, with the, the masked killer behind the wheel, and if they want to get out of the car, they have to climb over that unconscious killer to do so. Got to give the movie credit for delivering at least one sequence that would linger with someone who did not love the movie overall. It still works. On paper, I agree with you guys. I think that the scene would have been much stronger, though, if it hadn't been Sydney having to crawl over Ghostface. Because mm-hmm. at no point do I feel like you really think that she's in danger. But like you had a theoretically expendable character right next to her who could have been killed without without significantly derailing the story. And like I think that the, the stakes of it like would have been a little bit higher had she had to like send her friend out there to do it. Don't they both have to climb over the killer? Vic, help me out here. I'm- yeah. Correct. They both they both wind up climbing over uh, Ghostface. Yeah. And again, we don't want we want to avoid spoilers even within the sequence. But I, I I felt there was suspense about the outcome of the scene. But I understand you're saying that kind of heroin armor told us that Sydney was not going to meet her end in that in that sequence. And I, I understand that. But I want to say I'm pretty sure I didn't feel the other character had that going for her. This is the kind of thing, if you watch Red Eye, which was another Wes Craven film that I really enjoyed, like, he's really good about wringing suspense out of these simple setups. And you really feel like this kind of meta bullshit pulls him away from what he's good at. I mean, that's, yeah. again, I rattled off a couple of sequences in this film that I that I really enjoyed. They have nothing to do with stab or, although, mm-hmm. I, you know what, that actually reminds me, there's a question I want to put to you guys. So the opening scene I mentioned, I, I like the opening scene. I think it's pretty good. I happen to know, and and you guys probably do too, actually. Wes Craven spent an extraordinary amount of time in his later career desperately trying to make something other than a horror film. He only really succeeded in getting Music of the Heart made, and that was not terribly successful. And then it was back to it was just back to horror because that was basically what studios would greenlight for him. So I wondered watching that that opening scene. As you're watching, as he's filming all the people in the audience laughing at the murders happening in the movie, it felt a little judgmental to me. Do you? Th- what do you think <laughs> Wes Craven thinks of the people in the audience that are laughing at the people getting stabbed in the movie? It felt over the top, definitely, like a caricature of horror fans having fun. Like they're literally just going bananas in this absurd way that I know people get hyped up, but, but it, it, it felt like a caricature to me, but I didn't necessarily read into it. What you're saying, Rich, what did you think? 
the thing that immediately popped to mind for me was a uh, funhouse mirror. It's like holding, not, not holding up a mirror, but holding up a funhouse mirror to, to horror fans. Because yeah. yeah, you're right. Like it doesn't really make any sense, especially for a first installment of a series that people would be dressed up in the outfit and like losing their minds the way that they're losing them in that scenario. Yeah. Um, but it, sure. It was, it was, I get that it was a means to an end for the narrative. Could I believe that Wes Craven was mocking his own audience at that point? Yeah, I, I can believe it. Hey, you guys both touched on the cast. You actually reminded me of some people I wasn't even going to name check, but I really appreciate so much. Jerry O'Connell didn't bother me that much. Sorry, Vic. But uh, Timothy Oliphant, yes. Omar Epps, Leif Schreiber, Sarah Michelle Gellar. I appreciated these people a lot more watching the movie this time. Even the stupid Dewey theme, the musical motif, and the character's relationship with Gail Weathers struck me as kind of charming this time. I have never been a fan of that. I've never been a fan of Nev Campbell. Uh, Not that I hate her, but I'm indifferent to her. But I even liked her character more in this movie watching it this time. Yeah, nothing really stood out as especially dumb or otherwise bad until the ending. As I'm trying to, again, figure out why I didn't like this movie the first time, I believe that I was probably young John was mostly with the movie, if not ever truly stoked until that weak ending sent him out with a whimper instead of a roar and then rendered the film forgettable. And we may or may not get into that ending in more detail later, but in summary, in future rounds of this contest, in summary, the dialogue and performances become ridiculously broad, the twists don't really land, and there's nothing about it that's that screams, no pun intended. Seriously, I did not mean that when I wrote that. (laughs) (laughs) Pinnacle of a movie's tension and excitement, which is what a film's climax should. The way it all plays out is really TV level in the way that TV was back in the early 90s before The Sopranos. So yeah, not a compliment. That's that's kind of where I ended up landing with, with Scream 2. Doubling back to Hatchet real quick. I've seen that one twice in the last year, both times for the show. I'd never seen it before the last year. I differ with you guys a little bit, and I, I'm not proud of this. And I'm not strongly entrenched in, in my stance, but for me, it didn't hold up all that well on View 2 to the point that I think I might have dug Hatchet 2 more. Why? Well, they had more money in that one. The kills are more elaborate and convincing. I think they 100% topped themselves in that category. Not that there aren't some quality kills in the original. The belt sander to the mouth is pretty rough on a visceral level. And uh, the goofy office space guy and his Midwestern wife buy it in memorable fashion. Yeah, Vic, you alluded to that as the Pez kill, one of those, which is, which is great. Honestly, I laughed more in the second movie. And I think that at least on paper, that film's cast is better. Vic, you, you, you thought that you got more bang from your buck with the Tony Todd performance in, in this one, which he's barely in. It's, yeah, it's a cameo. I, I honestly, I will say I appreciate the Tony Todd character as a heavy in, in the second one. And I, I said at the time when we covered it, I'll say it again, I think it's probably one of his best roles, which is saying the, the poor guy deserves better roles, but, but I, I, I liked seeing him work. And Danielle Harris, not like it's one of her best movies or anything, but I appreciated her presence in the second one. So honestly, I'm not really sure at this point why I ranked Hatchet 1 higher 
I watched them back to back the first time. I think that the first half of the original might be better. I was personally pretty amused. Rich did not like this, but the uh, the Girls Gone Wild stuff with, between Mercedes McNabb, who I love from Buffy, and I thought was great in this movie, playing the kind of incredibly dumb character, but making it work and selling it and being really funny, and her NYU, quote-unquote, educated rival. I thought that that worked. I did like the sad sack male lead character as a as an anchor to the story to laugh at but commiserate with as well. This was the first appearance of the the Asian twin brothers played by the same actor, and I think I appreciated the guy's fake Cajun shtick more the first time through with this movie, and also Victor Crowley and his makeup. I think it's technically a lot better in the second movie, but I do like him more in this one. He has like a traditional, messed up, freakazoid kind of look, less like a pro wrestler called the Swamp Freak or something. I dare say he's he's scarier in, in the original movie, even if he's not as hulked out. But yeah, I mean, looking at it from a 10,000-foot view, I'm not sure I really need to see this movie again. The characters spend so much time just running around in circles. I think this is as bad of a script as any zero-budget, unknown indie slasher from the early 80s. They might as well have not even tried to give the good guys anything to do as far as escaping or killing Crowley. They, they try to set him on fire at one point. I'm, I'm not sure why, given what they know and don't know at that point. It's just the appearance of plot or the appearance of characters doing things when it's just cycling through each of these characters' deaths. But all that said, I, I enjoy the movie. I think it's more fun than most slashers. Calling it meta, as Rich alluded to, does feel like a stretch in some ways. But I, I think it's very self-aware in its approach to the Crowley backstory, his rules, and his M.O., and of course the kills themselves. This movie knows the filmic neighborhood that it's operating in, and I think it's fairly inventive and clever despite not actively trying to deconstruct anything or turn the whole subgenre on its head. It's more of a goofy love letter to the slasher subgenre, and that's okay with me. I do appreciate Tony Todd and... Danielle Harris in the sequels. I just think they were in a much more serious movie than Hatchet 2 actually was. So it's not again, I don't want to take anything away from them or their or their performances. Yeah. It just made the movie feel tonally uneven, whereas this movie felt all of a piece to me. Because Joel David Moore and and Dion Richmond just bring this goofy kind of guys fucking around charm, which is the whole movie feels like a bunch of guys fucking around. That sort of worked for me better than anybody trying to avenge multiple deaths. So yeah. like I said, the first half of this movie really got me. John, I, I understand that. I don't know. We'll have to see how far something like Hatchet can go. I think I'm going to cast my vote for it. Yeah, I'm going to cast my vote for Hatchet. In terms of juxtaposition, I know we can't talk about it too much. I think Hatchet ends strongly, and I think Scream 2 really goes out with a whimper. And I think that's increasingly one of the things that we're noticing here is which movies can really pull off a third act, which movies can really make the last couple minutes of it of it work. And I'll also say that Scream 2 has the the least realistically designed theater uh, I feel like I've ever seen. 
<laughs> compared compared even to stage fright, which had one twentieth of the budget. <laughs> well, I think I know what Rich is going to say, so I'm going to cast a sympathy vote for Scream Two because I never thought I was going to like it, and I was kind of delighted by it. If Rich says he's voting for Scream Two then I might be like, shit. But, but no, honestly, I do write, I really like it. And he, but you're right. It does not end well. And I agree that Hatchet does. Rich, just, yeah, end this. But say something nice about Scream 2. Because you warmed up to it. You did. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm going to spare you the regret <clears throat> of voting for Scream 2. I am definitely casting my vote for, for Hatchet. I just can't. I can't do it again. Say something nice about it. <laughs> I mean, like, was was the font good on the titles? <laughs> the Dave Matthews on the soundtrack, right? Surely you love the Dave Matthews, right? Oh yeah, I forgot. I totally. I swear to God, I made notes on this movie and like and lost them at some point because I remember commenting on the Dave Matthews. Actually, or maybe there's another movie that we have that has Dave Matthews in it. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of Dave Matthews in 94. Oh, God, I hope not. I think it is in another movie, honestly. I'll let you off the hook. I mean, I'm just <laughs> glad you... Thing, the important thing is that John loves Kevin Williamson. Oh. We all know it. All heard it. John loves Kevin Williamson. He's a force in the horror industry. And yeah. I mean, the amount of shit I have talked about Kevin Williamson on this show, I will tip the cap to him here. That is resolved. Uh, goodbye, Scream 2. Uh, thank you for playing. Hatchet advances. And I have a feeling, like just a strange, mysterious hunch, that we're going to be breaking this recording in two right here. So I will say, let's tease part two by saying we've got Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 circa 2009, going up against Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 in our next matchup, followed by The Strangers Pray at Night up against us. Jordan Peele produced... Wait, I think he directed that one, too. Directed that one, too. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. If you dig the show, everybody listening right now, please give us a rating and review on iTunes if you haven't already or whatever other platform that uh, on which you found our pod. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, as Randy from Scream teaches us, never, ever, under any circumstances, assume the killer is dead. Adios. Adios.